you'd stand with us. Um, I don't really think I'm going to preach a long time. But I definitely have a message I believe is from the Holy Ghost. First Samuel chapter number four. We got a letter, the church office got a letter this last week from somebody in North Carolina that had been watching the live stream and was thanking God that we are doing the live stream. You know, I'm glad that that happened because the jury's still out for me whether we need all this stuff. But you know what? If people are being blessed, I'm going to say that again. If people are being blessed, this is not a, hey, look at us. This is we want to bless the name of Jesus. And so I was, I was glad to read that letter. It was very touching. 1 Samuel chapter number 4. We're going to read uh, verse number 10, then go to verse number 14. If you got it, say amen. And the Philistines fought with Israel. And Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter. For there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And go to verse number 14. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was 90 and 8 years old. And his eyes were dim and he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army and I fled today out of the army. And he said, what is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines. And there had been also a great slaughter among thy people, and thy two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass, when he had mentioned, made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck brake and he died for he was an old man and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. And his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child near to be delivered and when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed. And her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory 
is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. Very negative chapter in the history of Israel. And I have felt led to entitle this this morning, Be Careful What You Call Your Future. Be careful what you call your future. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, we are in awe and enthralled by the anointing of your spirit, your presence, your glory that is in this house. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. We thank you for the spirit of God that is so reticent, so available, so glorious, so wonderful in this place. We pray that you'll anoint every ear and touch every life. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. In the King James Version, there are 783,137 words, 31,102 verses, 1,189 chapters. And with this voluminous literary content before us, the name of Ichabod only appears one time. Even the name Judas, referring to Judas Iscariot, is mentioned at least 30 times in your Bible, but Ichabod is mentioned only once. What does his name mean? First of all, let's get a little background here. The nation of Israel is seen here going into battle against the Philistines, but that Israel was not right with God. And they were not right with God because of one man, at least one man, we suspect that the nation of Israel was already in idolatry, dabbling with idolatry. We see this unfold in consecutive and future chapters, but more specifically, it was because the high priest Eli. We see Samuel, you may remember a famous passage where Samuel hears his name being called in previous chapters. And he goes in unto Eli. His mother had dedicated him already to the things of God as part of a plea bargain to end a barren womb. And so Samuel, the young prophet, is already there. He comes into Eli and he says, here I am. And Eli said, I didn't, I didn't call your name. It happened several times and finally 
Eli got the revelation that this young man is hearing from God and he has a word from God for Eli. Eli had two boys by the name of Hophni and Phinehas that were taking the best of the burnt offerings that were being given and they were consuming them for their own purposes and use. And this greatly angered God. And Eli was privy to it. And Eli would not discipline. I mean, he might have just given a, hey, you guys knocked that off, you know, as a maybe just a casual get out of there, quit doing that. But it wasn't stern. It wasn't strong. It wasn't serious. And so here this young boy that's being used prophetically has a word for Eli, from God, that God is going to take care of the situation and going to ultimately remove these two boys and ultimately the entire household of Eli is finished. And so... Almost immediately, the Philistines are being used of God to come against the nation of Israel. And make no mistake about it, God can use the enemy, but it's not to destroy us. When God uses the enemy, it's, it's not intended to destroy us. Okay. And so God uses the Philistines... And the Philistines make a great show coming out into battle. And the nation of Israel calls for the ark of God. Now, bringing the ark of God out was no small thing. It was more than just an ornate uh, piece of furniture that the nation of Israel was bringing out as some emblematic religious symbol. It was more than that. It represented, it represented a mobile throne. It represented the very presence and the authority of God. And when the ark of God appeared among God's people, there was a great shout. Um, so the Bible says that the earth rang. It was so loud that the, the Philistines began to become fearful. They were fearful. when the, I want to tell you, when, a, when an apostolic church really gets to worshiping God, the enemy is shaking in his boots. The enemy, the enemy is not afraid of you sitting on a pew and not moving and not lifting your hands and not getting in, in sync with what's going. No. But once you get in sync and you begin to lift your voice, you become to lift your spirit, you begin to recognize who's in this place, the enemy becomes afraid. Why don't we just take a moment and put the enemy on notice? I may not be feeling 100% today, but I can still worship God. I may not be where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I can still exalt him. I can still call upon his name. So the Philistines greatly feared when they heard the great roar of praise that went up when the ark came into the equation. But as we already began to read, the nation of Israel was soundly whipped. 
The Bible says that there was a great slaughter. This was not a time of testing for the nation of Israel. This was a time of chastisement and judgment. And the Bible says that Hophni and Phinehas were killed in battle. And the Ark of the Covenant was taken. Eli is in a place of safety. He's away from battle, but he is close enough that he can hear. He cannot see. He lacks vision. He lacks perception, but he can still hear. And he hears the great roar of God's people, and then he hears the sound of battle. And finally, there's a man like a messenger that runs with a message, and he runs to where Eli is, and he gives him the report that both of his sons have been killed in battle, and the ark of God was taken by the enemy. Upon hearing this, I don't know if he fainted, I don't know if he, I don't know what happened, but we do know that he fell over backwards. 98 years old, he was a heavy man. And he fell over and broke his neck as he fell on his neck with all of his weight. At this time, the wife of Phineas receives the report that her husband is dead. Her father-in-law is dead. And she is on the verge of giving birth. We read this story, but I'm just adding a little bit of nuance to this as I retell the story that upon hearing this, she was so overwhelmed and distraught that she gave birth right on the spot and she died. She died right there after giving birth to this boy. But before she took her last breath, she called the name of this boy Ichabod, and she died. I don't know if there's another situation exactly like this in the entirety of the Word of God. In 1 Samuel chapter number 3, once again, just to fill in a few more blanks, starting in verse number 11, And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end, for I have told him that I will judge his house. When he says his house, it's talking about his family. It's specifically talking about his family. When I begin, I will also make an end, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever. For the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And so God performed exactly what he had told the young prophet Samuel. As I've already mentioned, I think that you could search the Bible from cover to cover, even with some of the hideous, heinous, 
situations such as Samson misusing his authority and his placement in God's plan and Judas Iscariot and others. There's no story quite like the story of Ichabod. And the Bible said about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast born a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed. And that is what the name Ichabod means. It means the glory has departed. I don't know who took care of this boy. I don't know who assumed uh, the role of his mother. Um, the men going all the way back to her father-in-law and Ichabod's grandfather are now dead. No doubt it was a family member. Somebody stepped in and took care of the boy. Um, this is the very first time in hundreds of years that the Ark of the Covenant has ever been in the possession of the enemy. It is historically, up until this point, specifically in the possession of God's people. And it sent a shudder of fear and shame and condemnation and woe through the entire nation of Israel. As I've already mentioned to you this morning, this Ichabod is never mentioned again in Holy Writ. He is never referred to. He is never um, this particular story is never referred to, at least where Ichabod is concerned, ever again, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It is like a curse that is permanently placed on the life of an individual. I, now listen, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, I have thought about this story even as a new convert, just trying to put myself into um, going beyond time and space and, and trying to put myself in that, in that setting where there would be such a grief that would overcome uh, this woman and 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 this nation and this situation to where that that there would be such of a curse placed on an individual's life. It, it's it's it is incredible to even consider that for the rest of this boy's existence. He would be not just associated with this, but he would be named after this occasion. It was a curse. He had no family. As I've already mentioned, I'm not sure who raised him. The Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't even talk about it. But what did happen to the ark is worth talking about here for a few moments. It was taken in 1141 B.C., in less than one year, 
the ark was returned within the borders of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter number 6, verse number 13. And they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. What happened is, let me just fill in a few blanks. The Philistines, totally not comprehending what they had, took it into um, into their temple where the god Dagon, it was their deity. He was half man and he was half fish. And God completely tore Dagon in pieces. And then there was a curse upon the entire nation of the Philistines. There was just, there was hemorrhoids. And in studying this out, there was more than just hemorrhoids. There were people that were that were having all kinds of physical maladies and situations that were that were seemingly unexplainable, but they had enough sense to know that it was directly tied to having something in their possession that did not belong to them. And finally, they came to the place of recognizing, listen, this this much like the much like the Egyptians that went through curse after curse after curse before recognizing God's people need to go. Here the Philistines are recognizing, hey, let's get rid of this thing. It's just a box. It's got, it looks funny. It's just a box. It means nothing to us. Let's put it on a cart and send it back into Israel and let's put some gold and let's let's put an offering in there to get this curse off of us. And so they sent it back into Israel territory. It came within nine miles of Jerusalem. And here there were, there were people that were harvesting in the field. This probably has symbolic typology, but I won't, I won't digress to pursue that. But here they are in the field, and they actually can see the ark of God coming back. And the Bible says, And the cart came into the field of Joshua the Beth Shemite and stood there where there was a great stone, and they clave the, wo- the wood of the cart and offered the kind of bird offering um, unto the Lord. Going down to verse number 19. And he smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark. Here it fell into the hands of just Jewish citizens that really didn't comprehend and understand the dynamics of being a Levite or really really anything of the holy furnishings of God. And they made, uh, they made the mistake of actually looking into the ark and God punished them. And the men, in verse 20, the Bible says, And the men of Bethshemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God, and to whom shall he go up from us? And it was in that part of the country for 20 years. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter number 7 and verses 1 and 2. And the men of Joth jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord. It's back, it's back within the borders of Israel. It's now in the position, possession of God's people. And they brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Joth jerim that the time was long, for it was 20 years. And so, this woman puts a lifelong curse on her child, 
And yet the ark was back in the possession of God's people in less than a year. But there is no rescinding the Ichabod. There is no, there is no lessening the brunt of that curse for Ichabod. He has no father. He has no mother. He has no grandfather. And his name means the glory has departed. Through the entire time when Saul was anointed to become king, immediately after this occasion, the people said, give us a king. Saul was appointed. It was the people's choice to become king. And he was their king for 40 years. 2 Samuel chapter number 6. We won't take the time to read all this, but it's an amazing study. You will see that David is now king. It's now at least, it's now at least 60 years have passed since the birth of Ichabod. And the ark is back in Jewish territory. And now David wants to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. It's placed on a new cart. And you understand that uh, it went through the threshing floor. And I believe it was Uzzah tried to steady the cart and God immediately killed him. And it was kept at Obedidim's for three months while David went back and finally read what the Bible said of how to bring the ark home. The ark was finally returned to Jerusalem. And Ichabod would have been 94 years old. Which, ladies and gentlemen, is entirely possible. You have to understand the importance of the story because one of the very first things that God wanted us to understand was that his grandfather was 98. It says it plain as day. In a day when God had already adjusted and collapsed the lifespan, the average lifespan of a human being to be 70 years of age, here was a man that was the high priest who lived to be 98 years old. It's entire possible. It's entirely possible. I'm not saying this is gospel truth. I'm just saying that it's entirely possible that Ichabod could have been alive at 94 years old. And finally, he's lived through now his second king, it was in the borders of Israel for 20 years. And yet I'm stuck with a curse that does not even fit. The glory was back in less than a year. And I'm stuck with this name. His name had become stigmata, which is Greek for a mark. Stigmata means that it is a symbol that is etched into a life. That whenever they saw Ichabod, he probably became commonplace. And as, as he got older and there was another generation that was raised, it was probably not as big of a deal it's, like, oh, you know, that's Ichabod, come on, man, what are you doing, da 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 But he probably didn't have a lot of friends. 
He probably did not, was not respected by the older generation that remembered and recall, could recall the sting of battle and the sting of loss. I don't know whatever became of Ichabod. I don't know if he was ever able to rise above this stigma. I don't know if he was ever able to lift his head in public, but it's the way it is. What a shame to have one event, one disaster, one chapter, one decision, one choice forever stigmatize you. I might be preaching under somebody under the sound of my voice. You, you, you don't even know who you are. But 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 you're doing things that are that are there that are that are completely out of character and completely don't make sense and you 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 you've just been cast onto the sea of of just of just wherever life would take you because of one mistake because of one mistake in your life. I want to tell you today, God is here to break that in half. That is not even the truth. Come on, clap your hands and give God the praise. They were just singing here 15 minutes ago that he gave me a new name. Somebody needs to lift your voice like a trumpet. You're not supposed to be like the world. You're not supposed to have an identification with the world. You belong to Jesus Christ. A recent study that involved 12,000 people revealed there was one factor that they were trying to establish with this study. People who disliked their name, it had a direct effect on their self-perception, their self-image, and their personality. People who disliked their name felt loneliness, and they felt, according to this study, they felt dumber than other people. Even a nickname that in this study that was given to a child can warp a person's self-image and personality. Idiot, loser, stupid. I'm going to tell you that Satan hops on board and puts a saddle on a nickname that was given to you at a mistake in your youth or in your teenage years, or in your adult years, and for the rest of your life, every time that something positive comes along, he'll say, not you, you're a loser. Not you, you're a failure. Not you, you're stupid. I've come to break that curse by the power of the name of Jesus. I'm sure not going to ride with the devil and go along with his plan for my life. I'm going to take God. Let's just clap our hands and give God the praise for a minute. Let's turn the tables on this story here today. There might be a Nicobod here that you were raised in a household that was really a house where there was negativity. But I want to tell you, you're in a different household this morning where there are blessings, where there are gifts, where there are promises, where there is goodness. Somebody shout with a voice. person's self-perception and self-image is directly tied to how he thinks or she thinks 
that other people are viewing them. And it reinforces the curse that Satan wants you to believe that you're worthy of and that it's due and that it's very fitting in your life. Listen, he is a liar and the father of it. There is no truth in him. As Jeff Arnold said, he couldn't tell the truth standing on a stack of Bibles. Why in the world would we listen to the devil trying to navigate us through this life? I remember my mom and dad, they were not evil people. They were not evil people. They were not demonic people. But they, they, they did not have God. And they said things. And they, they said things at, at the age uh, in which it means something when you're a child. And some of those things can be harbored in your life. But I want to tell you, a greater power than my parents is in this house. A greater power than your failure is in this house. A greater power than the devil is in this house. Somebody lift your voice and give him praise right now. You need to hook your wagon up to a different power. You need to hook your life up. Come on, Ichabod. The glory's already come back. That name doesn't fit you anymore. Ichabod represents a name that is tied to a tragedy. There is power in a name. There is a power in an identity. If you think I'm standing up here this morning preaching to you because I come from a long line of preachers, you're wrong. If you think that I'm living for God and, 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 and blessed and happy and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because of who I am in the world, you're, you're greatly mistaken. I am here because there is a God that broke the curse of my worldly name and the perception that I had of myself where I was trying to fit in with the world. God said, no, 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 no. You don't belong to that world. You belong to my world. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. Somebody lift your, lift your voice like a trumpet. I'm coming out of this curse. I'm coming out of this curse where there's condemnation and shame and a lifelong of just unhappiness and dishonesty. a name. It is a name that is from an exalted posture. It has nothing to do with what you think. Gideon's behind the wine press. The Midianites come in every single year because the nation of Israel is so stupid. They, ca they cannot repent of their idolatry. So they go through the process of they, they till the ground. They irrigate the ground. They plant the seed. They keep the ravens out of it. They keep uh, all, all, of the, all of the animals that would, that, would, that, would, 
that would somehow, uh, the locusts, and they'd keep it all out. And here comes the harvest, and here comes the Midianites. And year after year, the Midianites would wait till just before harvest, and they would come in and take everything. And But here's Gideon. He's got just enough for his household, and he's got just enough for himself. And he's behind the wine press. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and said, Thou mighty man of valor. Man, I'm... I'm living with a bunch of idolaters. My dad's an idolater. idolater. We got idols in the house. I'm in a nation full of idolatry. You got to understand that when God gives you a name, it may, it's not going to make sense to where you are and the situation that you're in. But that it's time for you to realize, you know what? Maybe I've been listening to the wrong voices for a long time. It's affected the way I dress. It's affected the way I carry myself. It's affected the way I think about myself. It's affected the way I think about others. It's affected the way that I, I just think I'm a loser. I'm never going to amount to much. I'm just trying to fit in so I don't look stupid. And I'm just, I'm just trying to go through the motions. God says, I cast that spirit off of you. I see you as a warrior. You can sit there and be downtrodden if you want to, but I represent a God from another world that doesn't see you as a loser. He sees you as an overcomer. Somebody needs to be delivered or there's losers limp here today and recognize that God sees me to ride on eagle's wings and ride in the chariot on high. Clap your hands and give God the praise. A name that is given has prophetical implications, and the devil knows that. The devil knows that we are created in such a way that a person's name and the environment has stipulations and will become a self-fulfilling prophecy for people that don't know God. If the devil can convince you you're an idiot, you don't measure up. He can constantly get you to do things just to try to be like everybody else so that you're not rejected. And he feeds on that level of rejection until he has warped a life and gotten a life to do things, to, gotten a life to say things, gotten a life to try to warp and twist that life according to his plan. But the Bible says in the book of Proverbs 22 and 1. Brother Tristan's going to help me out. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And loving favor rather than silver and gold. When a child was named, according to Jewish tradition, on the eighth day, his name was not proclaimed, or her name was not proclaimed. When that baby's name was proclaimed, John, Jesus, 
It was a proclamation to both the invisible realities and physical realities that this one is favored of God. Incredibly powerful stuff. I believe that when you and I are baptized in Jesus' name and experience the new birth, that we receive a new identity. I'm not getting many amens right now, but it doesn't matter. This is the truth anyway, and this is exactly why God called me to Spokane, Washington. When you're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, you are no longer a drug addict. You are no longer a loser. You are no longer a fornicator. You are no longer bound to pornography and low-life living to choose that. Come on, somebody, clap your hand. God gave you a choice. God gives us a choice, whereas the human race has no choice born into the stigma, the stigmata of Adam. I believe that when you go down in the name of Jesus, that the name of Jesus is placed on your life. I've got Bible for this. Die-hard Trinitarian denominationalists will, t- will try to reinterpret Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19 by saying, in the authority of or by the name of. Okay, I'll go with that. But when you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you don't come back up with the name that your parents gave you, which is the Adamic covenant. But you're coming out of that water of the name of Jesus Christ, which is the firstborn among many brethren. You cannot go back to the world and think that you're going to make it and be fine and be happy. You are the property of a God. You are the ark of God. You are the property of a God. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Be careful what you call your future. Devil, you might have had last week, last month, but God's in control now. Oh, I wish, I cannot be the only one that believes this. That the devil would come back to me and say, no, you're a drug addict. No, you belong in the clubs. No, you got this habit, this compulsive behavior, this problem, that problem, that problem. No, 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 no. When I came out of that water, I was bought with a price that's from another world. Now my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Be careful what you call your future, Ichabod. You may have written yourself off, but God has never written you off. Clap your hands and give God the praise and give God glory. Matthew chapter 16. Verse number 18. I'm coming down the home stretch. You want to know why God is letting all this stuff happen in our society? 
It's not Joe Biden that's doing all this. The Bible identifies it in Ephesians chapter 6 as spiritual wickedness in high places that uses human governments, human agency, human relationships to fulfill God's will. God is letting all of this happen in a rapid succession because he's trying to tell the church, wake up. Come on, go, do this to your neighbor. Wake up. Come on, come on. If it's appropriate, touch your neighbor on the shoulder. Wake up. God is trying to wake us up. If you're still working your fingers to the bone, trying to get an image and sign, trying to get a reputation that is notable in this world, that thing is already gone. That thing is already cursed. That thing is already in the past. God says, I'm about to bring something new that's going to outdo anything you have I've ever seen. Wake up. Quit trying to pursue the American dream and be a part of God's dream and be a part of Look at this. And I say also unto thee, Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Because Peter, by revelation, understood what Jesus' name and identity was. See, identity is a huge thing in our world. We are making choices every day who we are going to be identified with in eternity, either identified with this world or identified with the world to come. It may not be that clear. You may not comprehend it. But every single day that we move through time, time, the future is pulling us. The future is pulling us into a divine appointment where we are making choice after choice and decision after decision based on an identity. I say unto thee, look at verse number 18, thou art Peter. Before this, he was Simon. Let's take a look at Simon's rap sheet. Got in a fight last year at the village market, put a guy's eye out. I don't know if I believe that. Why? He took Malchus's ear off. Let me pull up Brother Cody Marks right now. He was capable of doing bodily harm. Hello? String of profanities flowed out of his mouth. I don't know if I believe that. Really? When he denied Jesus, the Bible said he cursed. Y'all with me out there? This ain't the Sunday matinee show, ladies and gentlemen. This is the church of the living God. I came to preach to a Nicobod that is saying it's going to be this way all my life. No, no, no. When God gets involved, the glory's coming home. No, no, no. Come on, Nicobod. You can come on home. The glory's already here. 
Come on, let these Israelites know that we got the victory. Somebody shout. Somebody give him praise. Somebody give him glory. Somebody exalt him. Somebody identify with him. Don't you dare come to me and say, well, I'm just a loser because I've done a lot of stupid things. There's people sitting here today. I know things about you you don't even know that I know about you. That's okay. God knows stuff about me that you don't know anything about. And that keeps the pastor in check. God knows what he's doing. If you're going to have a great, if we're going to pastor a great church here, there's going to be a great process going on over here in the back, in the back room somewhere. It's not all getting five stars at Bible college and being the president of your Bible, stu- your Bible college class. No, my friend. It's God saying, I want you to know who put you there. I want you to know who anointed you. I want you to know who's been leading you. I want you to know. Well, I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to do it. Sounds like the devil. I will ascend. I will be higher. I will sit above. I will be in the clouds. Clap your hands to give God the praise. Holy Ghost is moving right now. We're starting to shake some things. If your image is not the image of the Holy Ghost, you will go no further. You will not go one inch further. But if you say, I'm giving this to God. I'm humbly giving it to God. I'm giving it to God. I'm surrendering it to God. Immediately, the resurrection process begins. Let's lift our hands and love him. Somebody give him praise. Somebody just love him. Somebody that recalls that I have no right to sit here today. I love what Brother Cody Mark said last week. He's going to make all the Pharisees upset. Because the reality of it is, ain't none of us got a right to sit here. Hey, I got a question. When was the last time grace was amazing to some of you folks? Could it be that God creates a little hell in your life so we can get a brand new revelation of grace that helps us to extend it to other people and helps us to love other people and helps us love the bigger process of God? Grace is still amazing. Somebody in the back shout. Somebody in the front shout. Grace is still amazing. Be careful. What you call your future, Ichabod, just because you messed up. Because before you was one year old, the glory was within 10 miles of Jerusalem. Safely at a guy's house by the name of Benadab. But thou... Art Peter. You're not wishy-washy. 
You're not up and down and all around. You know what happens? I'm still preaching, so don't 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 click your off button yet. I'm 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 going to try to bless you. The devil goes to God and says, "I can predict exactly what that guy's going to do. He's gonna he's gonna mess up here. He's gonna mess up there. He's gonna mess up here. He's gonna mess up there." Now, God, what are you going to do about it? What baffled Satan with Job is Job did not do one thing that the devil said he was going to do. The devil thought he knew Job. If I touch his health, he will curse you. If I touch his children, he will curse you. If I, if I touch his possessions, I will get him to curse you. And Job didn't do any of that. In fact, Job went out and sacrificed another sacrifice. And Job called on the name of the Lord. Job completely confused the enemy because he had grown beyond the immaturity where Satan says, I already got him patterned. I already got him figured out. I already know what he's going to do right here. I already know what he's going to do right here. Why don't you put the devil on notice that I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And I'm going to follow the word. Thou art Petros. You're solid. Me? Yeah. You hear from the Spirit, and you're not afraid to speak with the Spirit showing you. You have solidity. I know your mom and dad thought that you probably wouldn't amount to much. The average Jew at that time, a third grade education was a huge education to the Jew of that day. The Bible tells us they were unlearned men. But just a fisherman. Hadn't taken a bath in a few days. But Jesus says, you are not Ichabod. You are not what your mom and dad said you were. I see you to be solid. Petros means a small rock or a small stone. I don't know how solid Peter was. Go to verse 21, same chapter, please, Brother Tristan. And Peter took Jesus and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, thou shalt not be unto thee. Jesus saying, I got to go to Jerusalem and fulfill all things. Peter got right in Jesus' face and said, God, come on around here now. Go to verse 22. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You just said I was solid. Come on, folks. You got the capabilities of being both. I'm just like you. I got the capabilities of being both. This is why, Cornerstone, we have got to have the kind of worship service 
to prepare you for the kind of preaching that God wants to bring to you. Because this is not sitting in the grandstands, sitting in in the cheap way way back in in the in the in the upper deck somewhere we we cannot be touched and we cannot be ministered to. God sent me today to preach to somebody that you are solid, but you've also got the capability of making mistakes. But I still love you. I still called you. I'm not taking back the keys. I'm not taking back one thing I said to you. It still stands. David, just because you committed adultery, your household is still practical and bring about the Savior of the world. Then when the guards return and the Roman soldiers come, Peter takes a sword and cuts off a Roman soldier's ear, Malchus. Which Brother Marks rightly said could have got Peter. Peter could have been put away for that. You don't seem very solid to me. Here comes the big one. When it's time for you to prove whose side you're on. You're one of his disciples. I know you are. I saw you with him. I'll show you how much I'm one of his disciples. Blankety blank, 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 blank. It must be over for Peter. Jesus called him Satan. Jesus called him impetuous by resorting to violence. And now he's denying Jesus, using curse words to do it. Must be over for Peter. Come on, Ichabod. It ain't over. Not even close. Trying. I'm really trying. I didn't come here to act. I didn't come here to fulfill some little Sunday Bible study from headquarters. This is straight from the Holy Ghost to this congregation. Be careful what you name your future because God's got a different plan. Come on, somebody, clap your hands. Be careful what you say about yourself. God's got a completely different plan. Revelation, this is where I'll end. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear with the Spirit saying unto the churches, to him that overcometh, Will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone. Now, this, this white stone, this white stone has been the subject of much, not just eschatological, but just theological investigation and debate.
It doesn't have any connection, or does it? According to Jewish tradition, a white stone or a black stone was given to an individual depending on their guilt or their innocence. If a tribunal or some court of justice or jurisprudence was to find guilt, he was given a black stone. But if he was deemed innocent, he was given a white stone. Jesus is saying, Ichabod, you can overcome that curse. And I'm going to give you a white stone. But watch this. There is a new name written which no man knoweth, saving him that receiveth it. I think the fact that Jesus renamed Cephas or Simon a small stone that would be used to thunder Pentecost with a new name was Jesus' way of saying, I have a name for you that nobody knows but you and I. And it is your name that will be that way for eternity. I'd be real careful putting Ichabod over your life when God says, I'm just getting started. I can use everything. How? All things work together. How? That's the wrong question. The wrong question is how. Because Eliezer asked the angel how, and his lip became permanently zipped until his son was born. And then it was, John! Because he believed not. How? How? I'm standing behind this beautiful pulpit today in this wonderful sanctuary among this incredible group of people. And God and I know exactly how and exactly why. And I promise you, I am in awe of the grace of God. Let's stand. Brother Jordan, if you'd come and help us out, let's lift our hands. I'm really not going to do a lot of prompting right now. I just pray that you were listening and that more importantly, you believe. You believe.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody praise him. There's got to be an Ichabod out there that said, I had no chance. I had no hope. There was no way. know, from the very beginning of this service this afternoon, I just felt such a supernatural, a God that knows all, a God that's all caring. He's gentle. But a God that has a plan to get glory in your life. You say, well, I'm too far gone, preacher. Ain't nobody. 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 Nowhere at any time is too far gone. Let's love him again. You know what, this altar is open. Why don't you just, we're not going to make a big deal. I just want to, I just wanted to preach this. I just had to preach this. I just had to preach this. It's the will of God. Come on, Ichabod, the glory is in the house. If you're visiting with us, come. You can just stand around this altar. You don't have to do anything. Just you're welcome to do as you please. God is here. Let's pray.